So uh, a few years after I graduated from seminary, my seminary chapel burned down. First, I remember how shocked I was when I got a call from a friend and a classmate telling me the news. But after my initial shock wore off, I then realized that despite the chapel's age, it really wasn't that great of a loss to the seminary. <laughs> Besides some of the stained glass, it just it really wasn't very, uh, a really pretty building. Actually, it could best be described as awkward. And what's more, its layout, it no longer fit its current usage. It had this really big space where the choir was supposed to be, and there wasn't usually a choir, and so it was just awkward. But then as the news sank in, I realized that the loss was not so much the building as it was the loss of a place filled with memories and associations. It may have been an awkward space, but it was my awkward space filled with deep emotional and spiritual significance. It was the space that I instantly felt at home in when I visited the seminary for the first time. It was the, the space where I witnessed friends' babies get baptized. It was the space where, where funerals for several members of the seminary community took place. I remembered the sermons of my friends and my professors that moved me. And of course, it was the place where I got that one shot to preach to the seminary community. It was a place of prayer and dreams and hopes, of thanksgiving and lament. It was a space where I poured out my heart to God. And when I came to realize, as I started to grieve the loss of this chapel, was that it wasn't so much the chapel that I was grieving, but I lost a, a place that was filled of, with meaning. It was a space of my formation. It was a space that had become woven into my identity. And in some sense, its loss was a personal diminishment. Now we do this with spaces and places. They become part of us. They're woven into who we are. Perhaps it is a childhood home or a university campus or a lake in the mountains. Really, any space can play a part in defining who we are as people. Places leave their stamp on us. They help us make sense of our lives. They provide meaning and even purpose. For the ancient Israelites, the temple was just such a space. For you see, first of all, it was a place of magnificence and grandeur. It was massive. It was said that you could fit 400,000 people in the courtyard of the temple. It is also said that during the high holy days, that space was often full. It was immense. 
as a structure. And each of its individual stones that made up that structure were immense. The temple's mere scope would have given it an air of indestructibility and timelessness. But what's more, when you add in the sense that it was a defining center of the ancient Israelites' relationship with God, then it would have been even more awe-inspiring. For the temple not only defined God's people as individuals, but as a people. It was symbolic of who they were in their relationship with God and symbolic of where their place was in the whole of reality. We cannot truly appreciate just how significant that space was for them because we don't have anything like it. Think of those things that are, that are significant for us as a people. What do you think of? Maybe the Statue of Liberty or the Washington Mall comes up. But anything you can imagine falls far short in comparison of significance. In the modern era, I think only Mecca for Muslims can hold a candle to the meaning that the temple held for the ancient Israelites. And so with this in mind, when we come to today's gospel reading and we hear Jesus proclaim that the temple will be destroyed, it's not just a declaration that a giant building will be torn down. No, Jesus is declaring that a defining and meaning-producing monument will be ripped out of the heart of a people. Jesus is saying that a defining space will be gone and that a hole will be left in its absence. And because this is the case, it's no wonder that the listeners go straight to apocalyptic expectations. It's no wonder that they ask about what the signs might be that this will happen, because they can hardly imagine their lives or their universe or reality itself without the temple. Its destruction to them must mean that the end is near. But interestingly, Jesus does not and will not speculate with them about how close the end is. Instead, he tries to move their attention toward thinking to the business of living in the meantime. And as part of that business, Jesus warns them that though, the, that though the destruction of the temple will leave them particularly vulnerable, it will not be an end. In fact, Jesus goes on to warn them that there will be other terrifying events of instability. He warns them of wars and insurrections, earthquakes, famines, and plagues, and signs in heaven. In the face of this calamity... Jesus warns them, warns his listeners, that the absence of the temple and its meaning-making presence will mean that folks will come along who look to to take advantage of those listeners. And Jesus says, beware of those who come saying, I am he and the time is near. 
He's warning that they are hoping to fill the empty space of meaning in people's lives with their own presence. And so Jesus warns them not to go after them. And what's more, Jesus warns his listeners that the powers that be will also often reject them and persecute them. Those poor listeners will even be betrayed by loved ones and family and friends. Some of those listeners will even be killed for living into their convictions. So look at how destabilizing all of this is. Jesus is telling his listeners, telling them and us, that we will face all sorts of catastrophes. But it's not just that. What's worse is that many of the things that we use to give us meaning and security will ultimately fail. Our temples will be thrown down, and our chapels will burn. Our government will be paralyzed by inaction, or our government will be corrupt. Our economic system can be oppressive and destructive. Even our environment will be made fragile and vulnerable by our current lifestyle. In the face of the disasters of this life, we will lift up those things that we hope will give us stability. We will lift them up in the hopes that they will provide meaning and purpose so that we might make sense of our lives. And Jesus is telling us that we may come to discover that they crumble and fall. In the face of this, Jesus tells us not to lose hope. For the tragedies of this life and our confusion in how to face them are not the last word. The brokenness of our systems is not the last word. The destruction is not the last word. For the God who created us, who created this world, will not abandon it and will not abandon us. The God who lovingly made us will not let us go. God is at work, often in strange and hidden ways, to heal us and to heal this world and to make us whole. In Jesus, we are told that God is with us to save us, to rescue us from the calamity of our lives and even from our own selves. He assures us that though we might be betrayed or hated and even put to death, that not a hair on our heads will truly perish. Our lives are ultimately safe with and in God. But we are told Jesus saves and God saves. And because this is so, Jesus invites us in today's gospel lesson to live into that good news. Jesus shows us how exposed we are, yes. And yet in the face of that exposure, 
Jesus invites us to act in faith and trust anyway. He shows us that in the midst of a crumbling world, we can rely on the one who does not and cannot crumble. He invites us to to place our hope in God so that even in dark times, we will be given words and wisdom that none will be able to contradict. Jesus tells us that he himself will give us the words and the wisdom that we so desperately need. Therefore, we are invited to testify. We are invited to speak out. We are invited to share our stories of good news. We are to testify for the cause of justice and peace in a world of war and violence. We are to speak out against the voices that are of hatred and enmity. We are to share the stories of good news with those who are losing their heart or losing their way. We are to bring a healing presence to those who are ill or hungry. We are to bear witness to the God who loves the world so much that God entered in entered it in the person of Jesus Christ so that that world might be saved. It is in bearing witness to this good news and participating in God's healing of the world that we will discover our true lives. It is by holding fast that the true meaning of our lives will be revealed. For indeed, as Jesus tells us, it is by endurance that we will gain our souls. Amen.